Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are our guests this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It is wonderful to be able to welcome the new families and the individuals that have been announced this morning. I want to just uh, share encouraging words to Brandon and Bridget. What an encouragement that they are to me, and I know to so many others. She grew up in the church, and he grew up very religious, and recently they, studying the scriptures and evaluating what they did, they decided that they needed to be baptized, and uh, they believed that some things that they had done in the past were not exactly what the scriptures had taught. That kind of honesty is most admirable. That, that kind of honest dealing with God uh, to put all uh, the things that, that sometimes stand in the way of pride and etc. and just humbly say, I want to do what God wants me to do and I want to make my calling and election sure. Uh, I, I remember uh, the, uh, the urgency in his tone of voice when he called that morning and said, if I could leave work right now, I'd leave work right now. But he said, I can't. He said, but I could meet you at lunch. Could you baptize us at lunch? And uh, they came down the building and they did that. And you know, really over this next quarter, that's somewhat what we're going to be talking about. It's finding not only our way to encourage others to be saved, but before we can be concerned about any others, we'd be most wise to first be concerned about ourselves. Are we right in our relationship with God? Be prayerful about this next quarter of study. Be prayerful that each of us can grow. That number one, all of us will be saved. And number two, that we will have a direct influence in the lives of others to bring them to Jesus Christ. And by the way, grandparents, happy Grandparents Day. What an encouragement grandparents are. What a joy they bring into our lives. And if you still have your grandparents with you today on the earth, I encourage you, if you... Uh, can stop by and visit them. If they're too far away for that, be sure and give them a phone call. Be sure and let your grandparents know uh, what they mean to you. What a gift God gave us when God gave us grandparents. Recently, I received in the mail, uh, it's called The Reporter. It's from Faulkner University, which is a university associated with the Churches of Christ in Montgomery, Alabama. And it is interesting in this summer edition, there was a, an article that stood out. It begins with these lines. What defines a university as being Christian? How would you answer that? What defines a university being Christian? Now, I'm not suggesting that you and I ought to confuse universities and the church. That's been done in the past, and that's a dangerous line to cross. I'm just giving us something to think about that it might be what we oftentimes use to define universities as being Christian. We might even use to define the church as being Christ's church, and both would be terrible mistakes. This article does a good job of bringing out the answer first is given, would it be mandatory chapel or biblical study courses? Is that what makes the university Christian? You have to go to chapel? You have to go to a Bible class that has a Bible as a text? Is that what makes this the Lord's church? You have to come to worship? You have to go to a Bible class? And if you do that, you're a part of the Lord's church? Or is there something much, much deeper 
something that not is as simple as what we do as on a schedule. It's what we become as in transformation. You see this article continues and at the bottom of this opening paragraph he talks instead of an institution that prepares our students for greater purpose to bring honor and glory to God and to serve humanity. The article goes ahead and and writes about a worldview. And beginning in the fall of 2009, Faulkner University will take every incoming freshman and they will give them a worldview test. And then there will be four years, five years later, the graduating seniors will be giving a postgraduate exam and their worldview will be tested again the same students will be compared in the time that they have spent at Faulkner has their worldview become more biblical, more Christian. In other words, they are challenging their teachers to implement the biblical view in every topic they teach. For example, Professor Rayla Black, She has been a distinguished teacher receiving the Distinguished Teacher Award in 2008. She talks about her business classes as it relates to a biblical worldview. And she says, teaching business from a Christian... the real measurement. The real measurement is when Faulkner graduates enter the world and affects change for the cause of Christ. When we inform the mind to serve God, thereby fulfilling the greater purpose and liberating the soul, then we are a Christian university. Something to think about. What do I think of in the church? Do I think of myself as someone that if I go to a worship service and attend a Bible class that I'm a part of the Lord's church? Or is it that we are to be a part of something much greater? If we talk about conversions, we look to the book of Acts. Oftentimes, of course, because of the name Acts. Acts of the Apostles. We get in our mind that the first half of the book of Acts places an emphasis on Peter. And so we say, first half of the book of Acts is about the life of Peter. And then we look at the last half of the book of Acts and the emphasis on Paul. And so we say, well, it is an emphasis on Paul, but is it really? Have we oversimplified Acts? Is it really just a journey of two men? And God gave us this book to say, I just want you to see what two men did. Or is there something much more important and much deeper than that? I'd like for you to look with me to the very first verse again as we think about the continual work of Jesus. Acts, the first chapter, look at verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Wait a minute. The former account. What would the former account be? You remember the book of Luke? Luke wrote the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Luke wrote Acts. Sometimes we do say that volume one is about the life of Christ. Volume two is about the life of the church. That would be accurate in one sense. But is Luke telling us something a little different here? This former 
treaty that he wrote, it told about Gabriel coming and telling Mary that she would give birth to Jesus Christ even though she being a virgin. Luke told us about at 12 years of age that Jesus, he stayed back in Jerusalem because he wanted to hear more teaching in the temple. Luke was the one that told us about Jesus as an adult in ministry and his tremendous stories such as the answer to the question, who is thy neighbor? And he didn't answer the question, who is thy neighbor and the good Samaritan? Instead, he asked, are you the good neighbor? Or Luke, the 15th chapter, oftentimes considered even in the secular world as the greatest short story that's ever been written. That's what Charles Dickens called the prodigal son. Luke was the one that recorded Jesus' words of the prodigal son. And then we go to the crucifixion and we see just before that Peter's denial. We see Jesus' death. We see Jesus' burial. We see Jesus' resurrection and Luke is the one that gives us that touching and moving story to show how the two men on the road to Emmaus, they left Jerusalem long-facing sad because they thought it was all over. And when Jesus came and began questioning, but they didn't know that it was the resurrected Jesus, they thought that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Think about that, redeem Israel. That's what we just had so capably read for us just a few moments ago in Acts the first chapter in verse six. That's what the apostles were asking now, 40 days later. Are are you going to be the one, Jesus, are you going to redeem Israel now? When is the time? And then Luke closes with a short clip of talking about the ascension. Now, friends, I don't know if you can get passionate about little small phrases in the Bible, but I can, and sometime I might even overreact to them. But it absolutely stuns me when I look back at verse 1 again, and when he talks about the gospel of Luke, he says, of all that Jesus began, both to do and to teach. What? Luke, you just gave us the the whole history of the conception, the birth, the growing up, the ministry, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. And now, Luke, you look back at that writing and you say that was just the beginning of what Jesus did and taught. Well, friends, if Luke is volume one of what Jesus began to do and to teach, what's volume two? Would volume two not be the continuation of Jesus' doings and teachings? When we think about the church, what is the church? Colossians 1 and 18 teaches us that Christ is the head of the body, the church. Now we need to ask ourselves this simple question. Is Jesus alive? Yes, Jesus is alive. What is the church? The church is the living body of Jesus. Friends, Jesus' work had just begun when he ascended into heaven. Jesus was going to use individuals on the earth to be his mouth, to be his hands, to be his feet. The work of Jesus is still continuing. Here it is, 2008, about 1,970 years later, and the work of Jesus is still continuing. 
Look with me, if you will, to Ephesians, the third chapter. Ephesians, the third chapter. The choice of words that Paul uses challenges us as we might think of of Jesus being distantly off in heaven and that what we're part of here on this earth is, is some kind of social gathering once a week and that we might make some minor changes in our life. And, and that's not at all. What we, if we are to be a part of the church, keep in mind, 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, we are baptized into the church. But also keep in mind, Galatians 3 and 27, Romans 6 and 3, we are baptized into Christ. You can't separate Christ and the church. And so when we have become a part of Christ, we have become a part of the body. And if we're part of Christ, what does Christ's body do? Well, when Christ's body was on this earth, he ministered to others. He served others. He loved others. When Christ was on this earth, he taught others. What does Christ continue to do today? He continues to teach and to serve and to love through his body. The world sees that and the world experiences that. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, a church that he loved dearly. And in the middle of his writing, he stops to say a prayer for them. Look in verse 14 of the third chapter. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his inner or through his spirit in the inner man. Pause there for a moment. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you're a part of the body of Christ, that there is a strength within you that you did not have when you were not a part of the body of Christ? Do you believe that when you're called to do work for the Lord, that the Lord gives you the strength that you need to carry out that work? Friends, Paul and other writers make it very clear Jesus is still alive and Jesus is still carrying out His work And he's carrying out his work through his church. And he is giving his church the strength and the power that they need to carry out that work. Notice verse 17 as he continues. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ is alive. He's going to work through us. Being rooted and grounded in love. Now he talks about this love that we learn only from Jesus. We receive it only from Jesus. Verse 18. May be able to comprehend with all the saints. Remember the saints is holy. Those that are set apart. So those who have set apart. What is the width and the length, the depth and the height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do only what you can do by your own power. Is that what he's been saying all of this for? Why has he been building up to say, if the Holy Spirit is living in you, if Christ is dwelling in you, you're going to come to know a love. You're going to come to know a power that's so much greater than you because there's a work that has to be carried out that is so much greater than us. When we become a part of the Lord's body, we become a part of a work that's so much more important than any individual. That's why the apostles, they showed us that they realized that as they were willing to die for the cause of Jesus Christ because they believed that the cause was more important than them. Now notice in 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the, notice this, to the power of, 
that works in us. To Him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The power that works in us. What was that power as we look in Acts, the first chapter? In other words, sometimes I have to tell you that I'm guilty of talking as if Acts begins in Acts 2. You couldn't have Acts 2 without Acts 1. We see the beginning of the church. But what is the beginning of the church? The beginning of the church was just a continuation of the teachings and the work of Jesus Christ. Did you notice the promise? If you have your Bibles open, look back to Acts the first chapter. And notice he said in verse 4 about the promise. He says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he says, You have heard from me. And the promise is also included in verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We go to Acts the second chapter and we see that what the Holy Spirit in the miraculous measure was poured down to the apostles in the first few verses. And we see that they were able in verse 4 to speak with with tongues so that everyone could understand them. That was a miraculous power that was given to them so that the work of Jesus, the teaching and the work could continue. Remember, all Jesus did was come to this earth to begin his ministry. He ascended to this earth to continue his ministry. How? He was going to give his people, the ones that would be a part of his church, He was going to transform their life, Romans 12, 1 and 2. He was going to give them the power that they needed to do His work. Now, notice we read back in verse 1 that there was going to be a promise. We make a terrible mistake when we think that the only power that anyone was ever given was that miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. We all were given a measure of the Holy Spirit if we've been baptized into Christ. Look, if you will, in verse 38. Notice as we read 38 and then go into 39, he speaks of this promise again. 38, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. What's that promise? That promise is coming out of Acts 1. That promise that the Lord is going to empower us to do His work. Now, beyond the first century, are we talking about miracles? Absolutely not. Are we talking about you having the same power with or without Jesus? Absolutely not. When we become a child of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to us. Christ dwelling in us empowers us. That's what we just read back in Ephesians where Christ dwelling in us empowers us so that we can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. When we look in the scriptures, notice this next slide, and I'd like for you to think about Jesus' continual work. When we think about what is it that we go and preach, we preach a gospel, but remember that gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we think about salvation, we'd have no salvation to offer if it were not the power of Jesus Christ in John 14 and 6. We think about our purpose, that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. How do we get into Christ Jesus? Baptism. 
created in Christ Jesus for good works. How is it that you have been made anew? What is it that has been changed in your life? What power is it you have now that you did not have before you became a Christian so that you could do God's work? Ephesians 2 and 13, we have a nearness to the Father that we never had until we were in Christ. Philippians 2 and 5, we studied this a week or two ago on Sunday morning. The mind of Jesus, that kind of humility that says, I need to serve others, where Jesus came in the form of a servant. We do not naturally have that power in our life. The power to be moral, the power to be spiritual, the power to be a servant. Who gives us that power? We don't wake up by our own nature and have that power. It's when we start living a life that has been transformed by Jesus Christ. The privilege of the resurrection. You remember in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, verse 16, it's going to be those who died in the Lord that have the first part of the resurrection. Who's going to have that privilege? Those who have been empowered by Jesus Christ. This is interesting. First Timothy, the third chapter and verse 13, he writes to deacons here. And he talks about deacons who have a boldness in the faith because of their work in Jesus Christ. Literally, the Lord is saying that a deacon who has his life in Jesus can do more than a man who does not have his life in Jesus We have peace offered to us that's only found in Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 5 and 14. And then the passage we just read in Ephesians 3 and 20, we have power given to us. Friends, when we think about Ephesians 1, it was Luke saying, everything else that you read in my former treaty, that was just the beginning. Now we're going to read a second volume. We're going to read the book of Acts. And you know what we're going to learn about the church? We're going to see the teaching and the work of Jesus continued. It's said often in the life of this congregation. I don't think it's said often in a lot of congregations. But I need to understand this clearly. This isn't our church. This congregation doesn't belong to the elders, and they know that. They say that often. This church doesn't belong to the members who have been here for decades. It doesn't belong to the ones that are new. This church doesn't belong to the ones who give the most money. This church doesn't belong to the ones who give the most time. This church doesn't belong to some who are on staff. This is the Lord's church. What does that mean? As the book of Acts unfolds, what that means is we are seeing the life of people who are continuing the teachings and the works of Jesus Christ. And He empowers us to do that. He gives us the love that we need to do that. He gives us the strength that we need to do that. He gives us the message to preach. He gives this example of servanthood and the strength to be those servants. I want to close this morning with an illustration, not claiming to you I know all the details of this, but I could not help but think of this as just one of millions of illustrations that could be used. You remember back a few weeks ago before the storm, Bobby Cole and Glenn Kaufman went down to secure uh, some material things that, that are owned to make them safe for the storm that was coming through the Gulf Coast. But they also used that time to go around to every home individuals' lives that over the last three or four years 
those men, other men and women in this congregation around the Middle Tennessee area have gone in and they have served those people. They have helped build back those people's lives. And many of those individuals have wanted to learn more about the kind of Lord that they serve that would move them into that kind of action. Some of those individuals have become Christians. One of the homes that they checked with, the husband and the wife were visiting individually, separately, with Bobby and Glenn. Later, Bobby and Glenn shared their stories with each other and they were both told the same thing. How much they loved the church that had helped build back their life and how they had been talking with each other as a couple, as a husband and wife, and that they knew that they wanted to become Christians like the people that had been around them and had served them and that their goal very soon was to learn about that and to become that. Friends, what is the church? The church is not just a Sunday morning assembly. Yes, we are not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together. Do you realize when the final amen is said this morning and we all go our different ways and we live out this week, we are still just as much the church as we are right now. What is the church? The church. The church is made up of individuals that have given their life to Jesus and Jesus is empowering them to whatever skill, whatever ability God has given them. They use the opportunities and they use the abilities to show people Jesus. We don't take our version of a message. We don't take our version of life we take Jesus. And when Peter went into Corinth, he talked about how nervous and how afraid he was. And then he told them, I didn't come with men's wisdom, but I came with the wisdom of God in power. Friends, if I want my life to count for something, if I want my life to be a part of something greater than just myself, can't play around with Christianity. I've got to give myself to the Lord. We don't have time to develop it, but it's such an interesting fact that in that eighth verse of Acts 1, he didn't ask the apostles to witness. He asked them to be witnesses. He's not asking us to just go out and do some things. He's asking us to be His children. To be empowered by Him. To be focused by Him. To be driven by Him. That our hopes are found in Him. This morning, we'll begin a journey for a quarter where we'll think about how to reach others. The book of Acts begins first with us thinking and realizing we're just carrying out the work of Jesus. Will you be His feet? Will you be His hands? Will you be His mouth? 
When he ascended into heaven, his work on earth had just begun. If you're not a child of God and would like to come one this morning, we'd love to assist you in any way. Please come as we stand, as we sing.